Glad that you could be with us tonight. I hope you'll stay and eat with us. Tonight we're going to do something a little different. Jake and I are going to be discussing the topic of why we sing. And uh, hopefully this will go well. It'll be a good dialogue that we can have. And then also, if we have time at the end, we're going to allow uh, for some questions. Uh, perhaps if we don't have time, um, we apologize for that. It just depends on how long this goes. But you can always email us or, or, or ask your questions um, later. Jake's already messed up. Is there an issue? Okay. Okay, we'll go ahead and get started. They're going to switch out my batteries, but we're going to start off with looking at the purpose of what we're talking about, singing, and why sing? Why do we want to do that? So I'll just kind of ask some questions. Chris will uh, uh, be addressing those questions. I'll interject some things and maybe probe into some of the questions and help us have a, a conversation as we study this important topic. So Chris, why sing in the first place? Well, I think that one of the things that we have to talk about is why we sing versus, why we sing a cappella versus why we don't use the instrument, right? Why we sing a cappella versus why shouldn't we use instruments and those kind of things. You know, I think that one of the things I've always said, there's two reasons why I think singing a cappella is good and right. And I don't even think we have to go to the Bible for these two reasons. Number one, the first church didn't use the instrument. We know that historically. They just didn't. And that speaks volumes when you consider that a lot of the argument today is, well, they used them in the Old Testament. We see the Psalms. We see in Chronicles that they were used. They were sanctioned even. The New, Christ New Testament Christians that we read about in Acts and onward in Paul's letters... They didn't have Ephesians 5.19 at the time, but they had the Psalms. They had Chronicles. They had those proof texts that so many people want to turn to today, and yet they still landed on not using the instrument. That should speak volumes to us. The second thing, and the second reason why I think it's always good to stick with a cappella and not incorporate the instrument is because the instrument has always caused division. Always has. Look throughout history in church. It always has. And I love God's people. I do not want to be a part of causing division in any way, shape, or form. Now, I do believe there's also good scriptural reason not to, but those are two things that I think we get out of the way right from the beginning, is that the first church didn't use them, and they've always caused division. Let's talk about the term acapella itself. Some, may, some people may think that means without instruments or something, but tell us more about what that term means and some history on that, even in other religious groups. Yes, it actually means in the style of the church. That's actually what a cappella means. And, you know, we haven't always been the weirdos. You know, people always look at the Church of Christ and say, y'all are those strange folks who don't use instruments in your worship, and that's kind of become our signature or what we're known for. But the truth of the matter is, if you go back a time in history and you look at the different uh, religions and the different denominations, many of the leaders of these primary denominations didn't use the instrument. And they were outspoken against them as well. Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest Baptist preachers that ever lived, was outspoken against the instrument. John Wesley, founder of the Methodist Church, was opposed to the instrument. He was the one that famously said, I don't care if a, a church has an organ as long as it's never seen or played. Um, John Knox, 
uh, part of the Presbyterian movement, John Calvin, all of these guys were against instrumental music, and they were always for a cappella. So we haven't always been standing alone on this issue. But we talked about Ephesians 5.19 because that's our go-to verse, and rightly so, to talk about uh, pluck and a cappella and, and non-instruments and all that. That's an excellent verse there. There's a lot there. But sometimes we do that at the expense of really getting at the point of what we're talking about. Yeah, I think we've talked about this over the last few weeks in our summer school series. And one of the things that we talked about is we've got to stop proof texting things so much and consider context. And what we do with Ephesians 5.19 is we pluck it out and we make it stand as our anti-instrument position. But we need to understand what's going on there and the thought that Paul is trying to convey. And we're going to talk about it here in just a few minutes, but Ephesians 5, 18 through 21 is one long sentence in the Greek, and it's important that we know that. Paul is not trying to make an anti-instrumental music position. He is trying to give us the reason for why we sing, and so we're going to talk about that here in just a few minutes, but we're so busy proof-texting Ephesians 5, 19, not to say that it doesn't matter in our argument for a cappella singing, but... We have done so much in the way of exegeting or proof-texting Ephesians 5.19 that we almost even don't know what it means in relation to why we sing. This is a quote from the lesson that Chris wrote out, and you can say some more things about it. I think this gets at the heart of what we're trying to say and what Paul really is saying there in Ephesians 5.19, among the many things he's saying. But just singing does not satisfy what God intended for us to take away from the act itself. So that just sing, just the act of singing doesn't satisfy what God intended for us to take away. What do you mean by that? What is that saying? Well, I think that sometimes we believe that because we sing without an instrument that we're doing it right. And that's not, the, that's not exactly the case, not necessarily. Just singing doesn't fulfill what God is meaning for us to do in worship. Worship is, is praise, it's intentional, all of those things, and our singing is directed at God, but it's also horizontal. Singing's vertical and it's horizontal. And I believe if you take care of the vertical, the horizontal takes care of itself. And Paul actually talks about that in Ephesians 5, 18 through 21, as he speaks of how we are to admonish and edify one another, that our singing is to be a theological experience. It's not just about mouthing the words. It's not just singing pretty. It's an educational experience. Because if you'll remember, when you look at what Paul wrote there as well as in other places, you get the idea that Paul's not worried so much about how we sound. In fact, a lot of the singing, if you want to call it that in the first church, many of it was chanting. And so Paul is focusing on the words rather than pitch and tempo and harmony and all those kind of things. We can't lose sight of that when it comes to our singing in the modern day. So maybe it's the same thing as saying, just bowing my head and closing my eyes doesn't mean I'm actually praying along with our corporate prayer, or just having my Bible out and my bulletin with the notes and sitting there doesn't mean I'm paying attention to the sermon, just drinking the cup and partaking in the, uh, or, or taking a bite of the cracker doesn't mean I'm really taking communion and examining myself and all that. So I think that's really what we're saying in that, is that you can make this about an act, or you can do it in the real way that God designed yeah, for it. Yeah, worship is intentional. I mean, you cannot sing holy, 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 or how great thou art uh, while your mind's focusing somewhere else. You can't truly fulfill the purpose of singing 
with just using your mouth and your tongue. Uh, the heart has to be involved. So let's talk about when singing becomes wrong. Yeah. When, there's, there's some different ways or times when it can become wrong. What are those? Well, first of all, when the singing doesn't involve the heart. Uh, again, just using the mouth in singing is not fulfilling the purpose of singing. And so when only the mouth or the tongue are involved, then singing doesn't fulfill its purpose. So the heart has to be involved. Uh, also, what we just talked about, when it becomes a checklist item, when it's just something that we check off the list, then it, we're not fulfilling the purpose of singing. Worship, uh, worship is not a dutiful obligation. It is a measure of the heart. It is praise that comes from the heart. It's a joy. It's a blessing. And uh, we have to realize that um, one of the major purposes of singing is edification. Which brings me to another point, and that is, if we don't know the words that we're singing, then we're not fulfilling the purpose of singing. There are songs in our songbook or in the paperless hymnal that we have no clue what the words mean, most of us, right? I mean, there are many of us that sing words in a song, we have no idea what we're singing or what they mean. We either need to do some research and maybe as a congregation explain what the song means or not sing it because it's not edifying and it's not accomplishing the purpose of singing if we don't know as a group what it means. I come back to the song Night with Evan Pinion. Beautiful song, gorgeous song, and one that I think should be a part of our worship service. But most, especially young people today, have no clue as to what those words mean. And it's been a few years ago now that Don led it on Sunday morning and Charles Ellis did a commentary on the words of that song before he led it so that we knew and understood what it is that we were singing. I think that's important. So whether it's a singing class or whatever, there are some songs that we are not being edified by because we don't know what they mean or what the words mean. And of course, then, you know, some of them use language we, we don't use anymore that's archaic and maybe we need to discard those or just learn what those words mean. But it's got to be edifying. Let's talk about, um, well, the, the next one we can get into it, our singing becomes all about the music, yes, uh, so to speak. So say, say uh, what you want to say there, and then I want us to talk about well, what, what, it, what about the subject of doing our best, or the question of doing our best in singing and, and preference and things like that. Well, this is a tightrope that you have to walk because, you know, in one sense, someone would say, well, we don't have to, we don't have to sound good to God. You know, our singing doesn't have to be beautiful. We just have to make a joyful noise, right? But, you know, then the other side of that is the Bible always talks about bringing our best. I'm one that believes that uh, not everyone's a song leader. Not everyone's a preacher. Not everyone can lead a public prayer. Not everyone can do the different things in worship. I think it's the church's job, the leadership's job, to find out what it is you're good at and exploit those talents, right? And so I think that if... If we're going to fulfill the, sing, uh, the purposes of singing, then we should put our best foot forward. And we should have uh, folks leading that that understand what it is that we're trying to accomplish. And it should be trying to give our best in worship. Now, you know, our elders have decided that we want, um, especially on Wednesday nights, our young men to learn how to get comfortable behind a pulpit and lead singing. That's a different subject altogether. I think that's great a different subject altogether, but when it comes to, you know, leading worship, and, you know, we're talking about in the realm of Sunday, for instance, um, we should put our best foot forward. You know, not everyone can lead singing, not everyone can preach, not everyone can do all the different things, but we do need to seek to put our best foot forward, and if we do that, and we still uh, are making a joyful noise and don't sound that great, that's okay, Yeah. you know, yeah. but we still put our best foot forward. A lot of us, all we can do is joyful noise. <laughs> 
<laughs> present company We're included. Doing our best. <laughs> uh, but think about the the question. This this question or this thought. We want to we want to jump on uh, instruments and defend uh, uh, acapella and 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 not using the biblical pattern example all of that of not using mechanical instruments. But then God is the one that gave us the acapella instrument, if you will. Shouldn't that mean that we ought, there, there ought to be something there in terms of doing our best with that, with what God gave us and authorized. So I think we have to ask ourselves, is bad acapella okay? Now, that's different than saying, I'm just not a song leader. I don't have a great voice. But remember, we're talking about what's the real instrument. It's not even our vocal cords. It's the heart. So what about this idea of uh, shouldn't we at least try in terms of doing our best? Because look at, after all, what it's, who it's for, what it's about. So then to come to the table and say, well, we don't have to try. You see what I'm saying? What yes. are your thoughts on that? Well, and, and the idea that God doesn't care how I sound becomes an excuse for bad acapella. I'm not sure that that's what God's driving at right, either. Right. You know, I, like I've said, I think subpar is still good enough for God if that's the best we can do. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really what we're getting at. Like I said before, we can't look at this only in the vertical, although that's the first thing we have to look at. Vertical first, but it's also horizontal. Paul is pointing that out, that there is edification going on, there is teaching going on. And that's hard to do if it's led poorly and sung poorly and all those kind of things. So it is that tightrope that we're talking about that yeah. you have to walk there. You know, you do your best. Your best still may be subpar, but at least you're trying to put your best foot forward because that is what's the most edifying, the most admonishing, the, the, the most teachable way of doing it. And, you know, unfortunately, some, some churches, you know, that's still um, probably not great. You know, their singing may not be that great, but I don't think that, uh, I don't think that God punishes for that. I right. don't think that's something that uh, he looks down upon, but I do think that he expects us to give our best. I think what we're saying is our best is it's got to come from God's instrument. Absolutely. The sound may not be what someone else down the street or down the pew may, may sound like, but my best is me, me worshiping God in song, me, me just me giving myself to worship in, uh, to him and for edification right. of the saints. Let's move to the idea of being filled with the Spirit. Sure. Uh, Paul talked about there in the Ephesians 5 text. What is he saying with that? Well, notice what Paul says, starting in verse 18 of Ephesians chapter 5. Remember, verses 18 through 21 are one long sentence in the Greek. So just to pluck out verse 19 is doing it a disservice. He says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Now, there's two directives or two imperatives here. Don't get drunk with wine and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know about you, but I've done pretty good with the first one. I hadn't been drunk on wine ever in my life. So I'm doing pretty good with number one, and I hope all of you are as well. Number two is a little different. Be filled with the Spirit. Well, how do I do that? How am I supposed to do that? Well, look back at verse 15 of Ephesians chapter 5. Therefore, be careful how you walk. Not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Notice, do not do this, but do this, right? 
Do not walk as unwise, but as wise. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk on wine and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. Live at the center of God's will. And you know, Paul also talked about the things that would be produced in your life if you were filled with the Spirit and you live by the Spirit. That's a Ephesians chapter, or excuse me, Galatians 5, starting in verse 22. But I also want you to notice what he writes in Colossians 3, 16 and 17. He says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. I mean, same kind of thing here. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with wisdom and understanding. Let the word of God dwell richly in you. And what's going to happen if the Word of God dwells richly within you? Well, it's going to change everything, doesn't it? I mean, that changes your existence. That's the transforming nature of God's Word. How do we fulfill or obey the command of being filled by the Holy Spirit? Well, by speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart, always giving praise to God, constantly giving thanks for all things, being subject to one another out of reverence to Christ. Paul is answering the question, why do we sing? So that we may be filled with the Spirit of God. Do you realize that our song service is to be a theological experience as much as anything? It is to be an educational experience. That's what Paul's talking about here. Paul wasn't as focused on the tempo or the harmony or the pitch. Not saying those things don't matter, but they don't matter first and foremost. What matters first and foremost is that education understanding what the words mean and how they are to fill us up. Because you know as well as I do, there is something indescribably beautiful when 580, I think is our average on Sunday morning, when all those voices join together and those hearts pour out songs of praise. It's vertical and it's also horizontal. I mean, is there anything more beautiful than when we gather around the bed of one of our loved ones that is dying and we sing them to heaven? I remember we did that with Aaron Ashford's mom. I w we did that with Bob Connell, with Jimmy Jividen. Nothing more beautiful than that. In that moment, we're not as concerned about the pitch and the harmony and the tempo as we are the words and what they mean for us and the hope that it gives someone who is lying there on their deathbed. So we can't forget that above all else, that this is theological and educational. And the point you made was it's when we do that, when we, when we kind of forget about the externals and we're just singing that's yes. when it's most beautiful yes it's not when i'm trying to read the music and hit all the notes just right it's when we're there in that moment you know those of you that have been a part of like a youth group or college group around a campfire or thing like that sometimes that's some of the greatest singing that just gives you chills which happens here as well but sometimes we don't always do that here and shouldn't that always be the way it is when we're singing to god it shouldn't just be those campfire moments, so to speak, uh, that, that we just kind of lose ourselves in. I don't mean in a wild way. You know what I mean? That we just kind of, the, the distractions are, are set aside and, they, and, and we're just really tuned in to worshiping God and, and well, there for those people. You said something there. We talk about emotion. Yeah. And we talk about it being an emotional experience. Emotions shouldn't drive what we do, but they are a part of what we do. And we can't remove that from the equation. I mean, most of us don't like boring preachers. And so we talk about entertainment not being a factor. Well, it is a little bit, right? I mean, the preaching that hits you hardest are the ones that touch, the preachers that touch your emotions, right? 
and, and singing will touch your emotions like nothing else. I mean, you think about it in your everyday life, singing is something that you do purely for entertainment, but not when you come here. You know, when you come here, it's not purely for entertainment. Everywhere else it is, but not here. And so we have to remember that when we're here, being filled with the Spirit, singing at the top of our lungs, but with the instrument that God gave us the heart so that we can give praise to Him vertically, but also teaching, admonishing, edifying those horizontally around us. Yeah. You know, someone might, you might experience a time where you say, I, 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 can't, I can't go to church, I'm going through something, or whatever it might be. Uh, that might be the, the, the time when you need it the most to go and just, just worship God in song. There's something that God does with His way of doing it, with that ministry of singing that, that touches us like nothing else, nothing else can. Let's go down here to the result. Yeah, yeah. The re- let's talk about the result in our last few minutes, not the cause. So what did, what did we want to say about that? Well, James wrote, Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. There is a sort of cause and effect relationship here when it comes to our singing. The cause of our singing is the overwhelming joy that we find in a relationship with God. And that should be evident when we sing, when we truly understand what it means to live at the center of God's will, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, then we can't help but sing praises. I mean, we're so overwhelmed with joy and for what God has done for us that we cannot help but praise Him. You know, people ask me sometimes, you know, what do you think about praise teams? And I say, uh, you know, what do you want me to think? Some people will say, well, where does the Bible say that you can have four song leaders? Well, where does it say you can have one, right? But here's the problem. What happens so often is our singing, whether it's one or five people leading it, becomes a talent show, or it becomes entertainment-based or entertainment-driven. And so we've got to be careful because that is exactly the wrong reason for why we come here and gather to sing. In my view, we're all the praise team. We are all the choir, and we play the instrument that God has given us, which is the heart. And so anytime our worship centers more on emotion or entertainment, that's wrong. We've got to understand this is more about education than it is entertainment. This is more about the theology of it rather than sounding great or being able to to put on a talent show. And if I could tell song leaders anything, ours do a great job, but, uh, you know, I've been at places where, you know, the song leader picked out his songs 10 minutes before he got up there, and that's doing a great disservice both to the Lord, to his church, to those who Um, who have gathered there that may be visiting, because what we have to understand when it comes to leading a worship, it's not just about hitting every note correctly. It's about understanding what we've talked about, understanding the education of it, understanding that you are leading people in setting a tone for worship. And that's a big responsibility. And so the songs you pick, the songs you lead, all those things matter. And so we need to be aware of that as well. I think that's a great place to end it. Do you think we have time for I think a couple we have of questions? A, or yeah, we have time for more? a couple questions. If you have one, Robert's got the microphone. Here's the thing, though. Here's the disclaimer. Only questions, okay? Please, no added commentary. You can, you can do that later. But if you have a question, a legitimate question, not to be combative, but just, you know, you have something that maybe we didn't hit on or that you'd like for us to discuss, Rob right here, uh, Rob Haley. Raise your hand real high, yeah, Rob. hold it for yeah. just a second so we can see you. Robert's... Yeah, he'll be right there. He's bringing the mic. He's got you. There you go. What does it mean to sing with the spirit and the understanding? Okay, well, 
you know, he's talking about, Paul's talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he mentions, like we said in Colossians 3, 16 and 17, letting the word of Christ richly dwell within you. I believe that if you're, if you're a baptized individual, if you're a, a New Testament Christian, you know, I believe that upon uh, baptism, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I believe that is personal indwelling. I don't believe that it does anything, uh, allows you to do anything miraculous. I don't believe it allows you to, you know, heal or any of those kind of things. But uh, we, we've talked about in past sermons, you know, what, what that does. But, you know, the Holy Spirit obviously wor- works through the Word as well. And so you have that Word dwelling richly within you. You have the Holy Spirit within you that's guiding, directing your steps. We talk about in Galatians 5, and 23, what Paul talks about as far as the things that are produced from that, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, all that, and that is a natural byproduct. Singing would be a natural byproduct of that, I believe. Singing with joy and, uh, you know, the overwhelming, um, joy is the best word I can come up with, the overwhelming joy that you experience from living at the center of God's will, having that word and that will dwell richly within you. I mean, that's the, I think the only recourse we have is just to praise him. Not just singing, but that's one of the major ways. I hope that answers. Anybody else? Sarah, he's coming with the microphone. Um, so, a little bit of backstory, because I don't know, everyone's experience isn't the same as mine, but uh, my mom grew up in the church, and then I grew up in the church, and we were both Church of Christ, so we were both grew up with acapella music but my mom everywhere we went my mom always had on the radio the christian like the local christian station which didn't play acapella music so it confused me as to why you know she was always no we can't have instruments in the church but we can have these songs that have instruments on that in them while we're in the car so it's just like i guess to what extent very good question. I don't, I don't know what my question is, I guess. No, that's a, very, that's a very good point, a very good question. I think one that people struggle with because here's the thing, and here's what I would say. Um, we're running out of time. Here's what I would say. Worship is intentional, okay? It is an absolute um, willful thing. You can drive down the road and hear Mercy Me on the radio, okay? And you can listen to that, and it can be pleasing to the ears, it can be entertaining. But you don't drive down the road and go, whoa, I was worshiping. What was I doing? You know, Because it is a willful thing. It is something that you engage in willfully and intentionally. And my belief is that if we engage in worship with the intention, willfully, intentionally to worship, then it needs to be a cappella. Now, there is a good case to be made for listening to that versus the other junk that's on the radio, too. But uh, we'll go in, won't go into that. But I think the main way to answer that question is worship is intentional and it is willful so one more anybody oh steven back here you're new so take it easy um one thing i've noticed uh that a lot of the congregations that i've visited so far uh, usually have the songs shown up on the screen uh, versus uh, what I grew up with uh, reading them out of the songbooks 
I was wondering if that, uh, if we lose something uh, by not using the hymn books, like, I mean, there were great hymn books have uh, been made over the years. Um, and also sometimes shining the uh, scripture up on the screen, you know, where people forget how to uh, look up scriptures or they forget how to sing songs without uh, it being fed to them up on the screen. So I just wondered if uh, you had any comments about that. Well, I do. I hope that's not a loaded question. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I, I hear some folks say that, um, you know, you should, have your, you should have your Bible rather than, you know, I preach from an iPad where I insert the scriptures or from your phone, you know. And for our young people, it may be legitimate if they're not actually looking at their Bible. That's a good excuse. You know, they're on Facebook, but oh, I was looking at my Bible. So, you know, we talk about that with our kids. But, you know, what's on their phone and that Bible app is the exact same words that are in this book. So, I mean, I, you know, I, I'm just glad to read the Bible, right? Whatever form it's in. Um, with our songs being displayed on the screen, I, I think what we're talking about is preference here. You know, I think like anything in the church, it becomes sacred over a while. And I think hymn books became sacred over, over time. Um, you know, I think they served a great purpose, and they may still serve a great purpose. I don't think you're wrong in using them. I don't think you're wrong in not using them. Uh, one thing that I have noticed, and this is a personal preference, one thing I've noticed as a minister, what the songs on the screen has done is it's projected our voices better because you're not looking down. You're actually looking up. I have noticed that. Um, but there will always be disagreement because some, you know, kind of equate the songbook with, you know, they're growing up, and it's a tradition. And, you know, they just don't particularly like the PowerPoint or whatever. Whatever your preferences are, I've seen some good. Um, but, you know, our, our world is changing, and it's going away from paper in just about every avenue. And uh, certainly it's the case when it comes to our worship as well. you have anything to add to that? Uh, well, some people do have a hard time holding the book. Some of the books can be kind of heavy, so hopefully that's a help uh, for them. But uh, I, I remember we were new here when... This was getting redone, and we were using the songbooks and not the screen. And uh, there is something nice about that for those of us that grew up with that. And I think we talked recently about someday we ought to just do a song service where we're using the book. You know, there's nothing wrong with either way, but there is something nostalgic about that. Uh, but there's reasons why somebody would, uh, it would work better for them to have it on the screen. About the scripture, though, we've talked about that, about why should you put it up there if, you want them to use their Bibles, and I think that's a good point. Uh, but there's another good point, and that is someone might come in, and we, we average around 27 visitors who fill out cards on Sunday morning worship, and that's just those who fill out a card. But let's say it's 30 or 35. Well, how, how many of them know how to quickly go to the Scripture? Now we can say, well, I grew up, and you had somebody help you. That, that is, is all, pos all true, all possible. But... It, is it can be provided up there, so now they don't have to figure out where Matthew is. They can be engaged in the message if they don't know where, how to turn to the Bible. That can be one point for having it on the screen. That was a good point, though, and it's something that I've, I've asked these guys in our meetings about is, you know, am I creating laziness by putting it on the screen? So if you've noticed, if it's a signature verse I want to put up there, I do, but I don't put all of them up there anymore. So maybe a compromise. Okay, so that concludes our time. We do want to close with an invitation. If, if you're here tonight and you need the prayers of this church family, if there's some way that we can help you, um, maybe you're ready to study the Bible with someone, we'd love to set up a Bible study with you, and, uh, or perhaps 
uh, you've contemplated uh, the next step, which is baptism. You have faith, you have repentance, you're ready to confess Jesus as Lord and put him on in baptism, then certainly we want to help you with that as well. So if you have a need tonight, come now as uh, Stephen leads us on.